Diamond. D-I-A-M-O-N-D. A precious gem of the most valuable kind. When pure, it is clear. Diamond. D-I-M-O-N-D. A family name bringing traditions of love, hard work, and moral values. This is the Diamond Education Podcast. With my mom and dad, Johnny and Kelly England. Hi, welcome to the Diamond Education Podcast with John and Kelly England, your hosts. Um, we are here to help you find the most valuable education for your child. Yeah, we are happy to have on with us Jamie Buckland. Jamie is a mom of four living in Flat Top, West Virginia. She began homeschooling her oldest son in 2007, and that love of teaching turned into the Appalachian Classical Academy. The experience led Jamie to helping other education entrepreneurs as a classical program consultant. Jamie is an education choice advocate, having lobbied for and passed a sports access bill for homeschoolers, and is now creating a grassroots movement in West Virginia to implement the Hope Scholarship, an education savings account that parents can use to individualize education. Jamie continues to work in West Virginia to help families navigate the education choice landscape. Her work connects families with the funds and providers that fit their family. And uh, this is actually a part two of uh, our podcast with Jamie. We We appreciate her spending a little extra time with us. In our last episode, we talked about the Hope Scholarship that was up and running against some legal standpoint. So if you're interested in that, make sure you go back and listen to part one. But today we really want to talk with her about some of her classical education. So Jamie, first of all, welcome to the Diamond Education Podcast. Thank you so much. And thanks for the opportunity to geek out on education. I have <laughs> yeah. not, I don't get the chance to do this a lot anymore. So I'm excited about to talk about this topic. Yeah, we're really excited for it as well. So education's kind of our new sport. So yeah, well, it's well been politics our sport. and education. In politics, we're like, yeah, we're always like, do we talk too much about it? <laughs> but we like to. Yeah, for yes. sure. So, but Jamie, what is education? So I like to say that education is the leading. I'm going to look at my notes here to lead someone out of insufficient thought. So just a very basic education is the process of leading someone out of a space that is, that is insufficient thought. Okay. Oh, wow. I yeah. like that. I haven't heard it that way. I haven't either. So I want you to I explain told you, a little bit more. About I got a trademark it, right? I got a yeah. trademark it. I used, when I first uh, came up with this definition, and then I, I kind of add a little bit when I talk about the qualifier of a classical education. But when I first um, created this definition, crafted it, um, it was a couple of years ago in 2019 when I had started consulting and people wanted to know um, not only how to run a program that was compliant with local state and federal regulations, which is kind of what I'm known for helping them do that, but they also were looking for pedagogy. They wanted to talk about what is the heart of their program going to be, how are they going to meet families where they are, and how are they going to cast that vision? And so I was looking at other people's definitions for education, and there are plenty, right? And other organizations define education. But I began to think about the actual process of becoming educated, right? And like, could we even define, like define educated? Right. Um, mm-hmm. If educated, it means a college degree, then I'm in trouble because I've never seen a moment. <laughs> 
in a college classroom. Um, I have barely got my high school diploma. So when we talk about that, the process of becoming educated, to me, we all as children, what's our problem? We have an insufficient um, thought process. It's not not sufficient, right? And then we could yeah. say define sufficient. And, yeah. and that's going to be a, a spectrum that you may never be able to put your finger on the pulse of, right? But mm-hmm. but the act of leading someone out, that doesn't necessarily bring the picture of putting information in their head, yeah. facts, drill and kill memory work. Yeah. It's leading them out of insufficient thought which could be explicit in some ways, explicit in instruction with phonics and reading, very explicit, but it also could be implicit. And then um, you're reading a chapter aloud and then you ask them to narrate that back. Those are answers that can't be stolen, right? Mm -hmm. That is something that they can't look at somebody else's paper and just capture that. We want to hear what they heard the author say. And so I've pulled, this is not like it just popped in Jamie Buckland's head, but this is from reading um, Wide and Varied, influenced by Charlotte Mason, influenced by Aristotle, influenced by classical educators that are now in this space um, here in, in the United States that are working on the renewal of classical education. But just the idea that we're leading someone out of the space of insufficient thought. I like, oh, that. I like that. That's way awesome. Well, and like the Latin of education, like when you look at the Latin root of it, it actually does mean to draw out, right? You're yep. drawing out. Educare. Yeah, Very good. Exactly. That's also in my notes. I, yes, I, I, I wasn't going to go to Latin. Latin so. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but you went there. So yes, to, to, to literally draw out. That's what yeah. we're doing. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, you, you, you're a homeschool mom, you're also a education choice advocate, but what prompted you back in 2007 to begin homeschooling your oldest child? So I always like to say that there wasn't anything catastrophic that took place, like nothing. I mean, he did actually get lost on the school bus, um, his first day of kindergarten, but you know, I don't tend to get like up in arms over stuff. So even that wasn't super scary to me. I figured like, well, he'll come back around. I showed up for carpool. They'd put him on a bus. He made his way back around. But there wasn't anything catastrophic. We had great teachers. Um, He learned to read. He, He was doing well in school. But what prompted me is that I have a hard time um, getting behind things I don't understand. And I didn't understand why they needed us there five days a week for a set amount of time. I didn't understand why we couldn't do the things we wanted to do when we wanted to do them. And we went on a missions trip. It was right after Hurricane Katrina, about a year after that. And we went down to Biloxi, Mississippi. And I was in the office letting the secretary and principal know that we were going to have him out for a week. And they were so offended that wow. I was taking my kindergartner out of school for a week. To go help people in Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. To go to this missions trip. Wow. And um, I just felt so uncomfortable that I, it was like I needed to give them an answer and I needed to have an excuse mm-hmm. for how I was parenting. And something um, was awakened inside me <laughs> that... Mm-hmm. 
why? Who gave you this authority? Oh, wait, I did. I opted Uh, into your public school system. I gave this authority over to you and you now get to exercise that authority over me. And uh, my husband could probably testify that I'm not the best at having someone else exercise authority. (laughs) So um, it just didn't sit well. We finished out that kindergarten year, but we made the decision at the end of the year that we would begin to homeschool that following year. Wow. That's awesome. I actually, that's a new story for me. So Jamie and I have met before, but I I did not hear that story. And I love that story. That's awesome. Just that idea of like, because we've talked with other people about like, you know, if you send your kids to public schools, you're kind of co-parenting with the government, right? And I don't want to do that. I always use the analogy when we had, when our big kids were younger um, and, and for those listening, so I've got two big kids that are uh, turning here shortly, I will have 22, 19, 11, and six. So they're, the boys are getting ready to have birthdays. So, but when we had the two big kids, my daughter, one year, she got an invitation to cheer for the, the, for the uh, local football squad. And she was probably like eight or nine years old. And um, I didn't necessarily align my values with some of what they were doing on this cheer squad. And, but her friends really wanted us to do it. And they were like, well, but you could say this to them and you could do this. And I said, who am I to go to their program and tell them, oh, we'll participate if you do this or if you do that. In my mind, I would be choosing to take part in what they say they are, right? And I feel that way about public education. Um, Public education tells us what they are. They are very clear in what they are doing. And so for parents, um, if you choose that, if you opt into that, you're signing up for it. And of course, with school choice, we're we're disrupting that system, right? Like right. we're working to disrupt that system to our, to the best of our ability um, for accountability and transparency. But really, for me, it was about if I don't want to play by their rules, I don't need to be on their court. And the trade offs, so, right? Like we yeah. all have our trade offs on what is worth it to uh, for us. And yeah. so, for, I think for some families, they say, you know, well, I I don't have the mental headspace to be the home educator. Yeah, I right. can't exactly. afford to outsource instruction. This checks my boxes right now, and this accomplishes my family's goals. It's not ideal, but it accomplishes our goals, and we're going to stick with public school. I want them to have the best public school experience they can possibly have. Part oh, of my sure. work is making sure that they get enrolled in the public school they want to go to with open enrollment. Um, And so I want to make sure that they get to do that. But for my family, it was, there was never a season folks will say, you know, well, like homeschooling, you had these big kids, then you had babies and wasn't it chaotic and wasn't, didn't you lose your mind? Yes. Every day I lost my mind. (laughs) But I, I just would have lost my mind in a different capacity had I been taking them out to the bus stop or had I been doing homework. So we all just choose what checks those boxes and we choose our trade-offs and figure out what works best for our families. Yeah. I like like that a lot. And that's something that, I mean, we're not necessarily talking about education choice right here, but I, the parents being able to decide, I think is very important. I mean, you can look through scripture and see like God is very clear. Parents are in charge of their child's education. Now, if the parent decides, Hey, send them to the public schools, then that's what we do. Or if the parent decides I want to homeschool or I got this private school that's religious, I want to send them to, we can do all of that. And that's, that's our prerogative as the parent, but God sent the kids, my five kids to me, he sent your four kids to you. I don't get to decide for Jamie Buckland, how, how her four kids should be educated because God didn't give me that power. So. 
yeah, I had a real hard time allowing my two older children to just start decide their own lives. <laughs> I really did. Like, no, this is all all me. I know you can't picture that from my personality that I would have a hard time really <laughs> the control of their own autonomy to them. But both of them moved out like the as soon as they were old enough to move out, they moved out. And so I was joking uh, with friends the other day. I said, homeschool your children and they'll be ready to get off your couch and out of your home as soon as they possibly can, especially if I'm their mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, So you have helped others start uh, classical academies and things like that. So what is, so we've talked about what is education, but what is a classical education? Okay. So my qualifier for a classical education is again, to educate is to lead someone out of insufficient thought um, and to do it by using worthy language intended to stir the student to consider the source of information um, and back when I was well rehearsed, of course, I, it's killing me that I have to look at this. I used to have all this <laughs> committed to memory, but my head can only contain so much. Now I have to commit everything else to, to my memory. But um, to use worthy language, so a language focus in mm-hmm. that language is a gift, right? And communication is a gift. And um, I love teaching my children like the difference in an imperative versus a declarative sentence, like imperative should be kept for soldiers and pets. And like this, that's, that's when you use the imperative, right? Like the general or the sergeant, they get to bark out the orders and I get to command our poodles. Um, but I don't command my children. I, and it's kind of a sensitive thing for me. Like if somebody speaks to me in the imperative, I feel compelled to let them know that they've just spoken to another human being (laughs) in the the imperative. Um, But to get to teach my children the difference in like declaring something, you're telling something, right? So language is just so important, how we communicate to one another. And then um, I listened to uh, Joshua Gibbs, who's in the classical space. Um, He's actually, I said earlier that it's answers that can't be stolen. And that came from him. He's got a lot of, of great thoughts. And um, so something that he talks about is like our taste, if you just get used to Taco Bell, you develop this taste right for Taco Bell. But if you get used to like fine cuisine and you develop a palate for that, then you all of a sudden have that expectation for that. And I listened to him speak once at a conference and he talked about like the difference in a catchy pop beat and classical music. Classical music takes an acquired taste and it takes a discipline to set and appreciate that and um, to to feel moved by that and to recognize the different instruments and the different talents that go into that. So are we just satisfying with Taco Bell or are we looking like these condensed uh, picture books that like, you know, um, the, the children's literature these days that is just chewed up and fed to them um, versus giving them a meal, a feast that they, their minds can actually feast on ideas. So that's the thought behind the worthy language. And then all of that is intended to stir the student um, to consider the source of information, right? When people talk about critical thinking, which is like a marker for classical education, when you think about that, It's not something I believe can necessarily come from explicit instruction. I think it's very implicit. Uh, Our children have to be able to fail. They have to be able to fail early. They have to be able to fail a lot. They have to know what it's like to have a deadline or an assignment. 
that they didn't do their best on. Yeah. Um, it is not something that we can instill into them necessarily, my belief. And so it's to stir. And that comes from, isn't there a scripture in Hebrew, uh, in Hebrews to stir to good works, stirring one another to good works. And that kind of the image of stirring someone to that, right? So we're yeah. leading them out of insufficient thought. We're using worthy language to do that. And why? Because we want it to stir something up inside of them to consider the information that's coming and who is the source of that. And should I embrace this or should I reject that? And that's yeah. really what we're trying to do is teach our kids to look at these ideas and to understand their consequences and for them to be able to reject or embrace and not out of fear of mom and dad but out of a stirring that has them pointed towards truth. Yeah, I, I really like that. That's yes. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yes. awesome. Yeah. So that's kind that's of like in the headspace, right? Like that's kind of like the pedagogy, the philosophical, yeah. but what, what I kind of got known for as a consultant was not that vision necessarily. So it's fun for me to get a talk about this, but what people want to know is what books do you use? What does it look like? How's instruction for classical education different than a modern or a STEM approach? Um, yeah. How, what does it actually look like to classically educate your child? Right. So yeah. can I talk about that? Oh, yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. Do it. So um, it's the difference in that explicit and implicit teaching. It's the difference in, um, reading a chapter out of, we use story of the world in our home, right? I'm a huge fan of the well-trained mind. Uh, Susan Wise Bauer um, is amazing. I'm a huge fan. And so we use the story of the world in our home and we have for years. The difference in instruction in what I believe is a true picture of a traditional classical education is you read the chapter of that living narrative of that story, and then the newer like ages and stages neoclassical model would say, reduce it down into a sentence, memorize that sentence, that fact about that person, that event, that date, divorced from the very idea of the compel the compelling reasons why that thing happened. And that is the newer like ages and stages neoclassical model of classical education. You read the story and then the child doesn't really have an active part in assimilating that information. They just learn the divorced fact, right? Mm. They do a multiple choice worksheet. Can yeah. you name this person? Choose which king we're talking about here versus a Charlotte Mason approach of narration, which I believe a true Charlotte Mason is one and the same with a true traditional classical um, approach. And in that picture, we, we see uh, the read aloud of that chapter. And then we just sit back and what did you hear the author say? What did you hear happen? And what is happening in the child's mind, or you do this with adults, although most adults can't do this. And mm -hmm. I, I taught last year a group of our high school kids who have not been narrating for years, and they had a very hard time doing narration. Um, but you take like my 11-year-old, read a chapter one time aloud, and then what did you hear from that? Can she remember who the players were? Can she remember why this event happened? What were the reasons? What was the conflict? And then what was the resolution to this? Or was there any resolution? And we're now forcing the child to have an active part 
of their own education versus saying, memorize this divorced fact and take this multiple choice yeah. test. And there are many other things, picture study. I could talk all day long about picture study and how we use picture study to teach prepositions. You take a piece of art and you look at the, the focal point of this picture, right? And you have the students study it and then you take it away and see if they can describe that painting, that portrait when they don't have it in front of them. Well, how do they describe it? They say, well, there was a person, but behind the person was a cart in front of, below, Wow. They start to use prepositions, right? Like that's how they're describing. And so w when you're looking at education and that stirring up from the student, instead of trying to feel things into their head, it's just a completely different ap approach to education. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So um, as you know, I'm, I'm a former teacher and principal and I, that idea of like not being able to like when you give kids a lot of this open-ended, like what happened? Like, why, why did that happen? Like what's going on? Like they, a lot of times, like I, I would get frustrated because of, and, and I'm guilty of, of creating this situation too in my own classroom, but um, they, they kind of ended up just like little birds just waiting to be fed. What, what's the fact you want me to know? Just, just, keep, you know, and just the way it goes. Right. And so it's, I, I love this idea of like the children are really like, no, this is what I learned from this. Like, like yes. this is important to the story and things like that. So that's. And actually it sounds similar. Uh, two of our girls go to a ascend. It's a, it's a classical type education and they ask parents, they do orals instead of mm -hmm. like, they do some written yep. exams in the school, but they yep. do orals um, twice a year. And I get to go sit in on other kids. And you always think like, I'm going to hear the same. Is it the next one going to be born? Am I going to hear the same thing? Right. But every time they've had, they've pulled different things from the story. Like, and Absolutely. I'm, I'm all wow. And they can be totally different principles, different, you know, it's, and it was them coming up with it, you know, and right. they weren't trying. I mean, of course they're nervous up in front of the teacher and wanting to make it look like they know their stuff, but right. it wasn't this expectation of there is a right or wrong answer, you know. Right. It's hard so. to talk about teaching without the one thing everybody wants to talk about when we talk about teaching, which is not learning. That's what I wish everybody actually, mm -hmm. like when we talk about teaching, I actually wish we were talking more about learning, yeah. but then mm -hmm. what everybody actually wants to talk about is assessing. Yeah. So, you know, that's where that big, that shift and that focus is. And so I, um, many moons ago, um, li was listening, following along to Andrew Kern and the Searcy Institute and uh, very influenced by their work, very influenced by Cindy Rollins, Near Motherhood. Um, and what I learned about assessment by following their work is that the best way to assess is through conversation. And what does that require? It requires both parties to have some type of knowledge on that topic and to be able to engage in the conversation on that topic. And we just don't have enough of that anymore. We don't necessarily have a tutor or a teacher with enough knowledge to then have a conversation with a student that is learning something. And look, this isn't to say that you have to fully understand physics to teach it because I did not fully understand Latin when I began teaching it, you know, a decade ago. And I've now taught Latin for 10 years. 
Um, and I still have to stop and think and look at my endings and, and you know, remember what the subjunctive is. So it's not like you, I'm saying that you have to have a certificate in teaching in order to be able to uh, come alongside your student. But I will say that conversation is the, the best way to assess. Unfortunately, it's not the easiest way to assess. Um, but when when we require the child to engage and to tell us something, we are engaging actively their mind in a way that you just cannot do any other way. You can't do it with a written assessment. You can't do it with multiple choice. You can only do it through that conversation. And to me, that's the most true reflective um, way to assess. Okay, so I'm a new homeschooling mom. We've only done it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're just in our second, our second year. year of homeschooling. So now I'm wanting to hear, like, can you do an example just for my personal <laughs> Like with sure. your, because I'm, because I've been reading the Socratic method, you know, and all these yeah. themes. And then we do, we do read out louds. And then I go to read and I'm like, I have the discussion. And sometimes it's like, how do I get this out of them? <laughs> like, how do I, you know? Yeah. So A, it is a skill. It is a skill. I guarantee you my older two children do not have as strong of a skill set on this type of assimilation as my younger two. So um, they were the guinea pigs. God yeah. love them. They're, they're doing great. <laughs> but I did not I did not really come around to this school of law until really the last decade. And by then, my big kids were on their way out of high school. And so I've really just been able to use it with the younger kids. Um, but an example would be um, not getting greedy. This is one of my favorite things to tell other homeschoolers or other teachers. Um, you know that you've had the math lesson where things were just clicking or you've had like the little conversation or chat where they like surprised you with their answer. It was super impressive. And you were uh -huh. like, I am amazing. I actually <laughs> yeah. am doing amazing things here. Like we've all had that, right? Yeah. And what is our tendency? Our tendency is to like capitalize on that. And well, that was real good. Let's just do another math lesson. Mm -hmm. another math lesson, or let's just go ahead and cover a little bit more material, right? I would yeah. say the biggest thing is short lessons. And so it's actually not like I can't get enough out of them. It's did I get like one or two quality things? Okay, then let them rest. Mm -hmm. And tomorrow I'll get one or two quality things. Because what we do is we lose the kid because we get greedy because we're about teaching and they're about learning. Uh -huh. And it's it's hard for us to subside that. Because we're hungry and we're greedy. <laughs> yeah. We want to know that we're doing well, right? Uh -huh. um, and so I would say short lessons, you know, the read aloud and then one or two things. And if you have multiple children in the room, you could start out and, you know, you can do a story pyramid. You can start giving them some framework. Um, I, I can't think of the story pyramid uh the gentleman's name that it's named after, but um, but we use that where you have the um you know, where we're beginning with the setting, the exposition, I believe, and you get to, you know, to the conflict and the daemon or whatever it is, and your resolution, you can use that to give them a framework, right? I like to say that things are foreign, and we make them familiar by giving them a form. Uh -huh. So it's, it is foreign, it's out here, we cannot name it, we don't know things. We want it to be familiar. And to get it familiar, we have to give it some type of form. So that's why we use charts. 
John saw my love of charts for, uh, for families when we were there in Atlanta because it's how I communicate. People want that visual. But for kids, they might need to see that pyramid. And mm-hmm. so the narration might be showing them, like, let's just think of the characters. So while I'm reading, and you could prep them, while I'm reading, I want you to be listening for the characters in the story, for who we're introducing. Yeah. Um, and then you move on to the next thing. If you, if I'm reading and something causes you to have a question, you have permission to ask me that question. You don't have to wait until I'm done reading. You can go ahead and ask it, right? You're inviting them to be uh-huh. an active part of this. And, and this is about their learning. Also, another thing you could consider doing is while they're reading on their own, if they are uh, doing an assignment on their own, uh, we're going through the magician's nephew right now with Elsie. And so she gets a highlighter and a copy of the magician's nephew. And I want her to highlight all of the proper nouns in chapter one. And in chapter two, you're going to highlight all the common nouns that you could possibly get to. Um, And now I want you to highlight all of the adjectives. I want you to highlight all of the adverbs, so on and so forth. Not too much. Don't get greedy. One chapter, just focus on this part of speech. But then as they get older, it could be, well, can you highlight the direct objects, right? And that, I mean, if you think about a direct object, you have to think about a transitive verb. You begin to like see all the parts to this. And that's the skill set that we're wanting to grow and stir inside them. So I don't know if that's helpful or not, but just like there are some of those tools that I think can help make it more familiar. No, yeah. that's no, awesome. I like that. I, I have to have somewhat structure. And so when they say just yeah, discussion is what I'm like, okay, but what does that mean? What is that? Like, <laughs> you hey, know. What's going on? So in this I'm story? not the visionary person. Yeah. I am the nuts and bolts person. Yeah. So like, I, I need that kind of explicit, like I need explicit instruction on what does this actually look like? So I would say a story pyramid is a great place to start. Highlighting those in the book is a great place to start, you know, and like, yeah, you're going to have to pick up another $10 copy of the magician's nephew. But I mean, your, your kid is getting to mark that up and engage that story um, and not in a you know I'm kind of not a huge fan of like book reports and a lot of that kind of busy work because I don't want them to get to the point where they don't want to read and they feel like it's laborious to read but going through and just hunting down those parts of speech can be a way to engage them in it especially when you're looking for narration because it's requiring them to figure out who are we talking about here Jamie we've taken so much of your time and you have been such a great guest on two episodes now <laughs> that I think we'll, I just want to kind of jump to the end here and just end sure. with one of our questions that we just love to ask people, which is who is one of your heroes from history and why? Oh, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. I'm, um, I'm jumping way out there. <laughs> well, can I do um, like recent history? You um, get to, this is the, this is America. We get to choose what we do. So I'm just, I'm giving you the opportunity to share. <laughs> Sandra, Sandra Day O'Connor would be a, a hero for me. Um, I have her audiobook just on repeat. I just listen to her story over and over and over. Um, as a woman who um, is often in environments that are not dominated by women. Mm -hmm. Um, I have found that um, listening to her story and her posture towards her work in getting appointed as uh, on the Supreme court, it, it, she knew how to uh, stay in her lane 
and um, she was very effective. Is very was very effective at staying in her lane and ensuring that um, she did not do anything that would jeopardize her platform and um, didn't lean into emotions and didn't necessarily lean into political. Um, it's funny because in the book it shares about her statistics on how she actually kind of voted maybe slightly more moderate the longer that she was um, on the Supreme Court. And um, as a moderate, I was encouraged by listening to that and her story. So I would definitely have to go with Sandra Day O'Connor. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I don't I actually don't know a lot about her other than that she's on the Supreme Court. So I don't I don't pay attention to the Supreme Court justices too much. <laughs> yes. Well, I didn't know a lot either until um, I started reading uh, about actually reading about uh Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it was, I wanted to know more about her and her influence on um, the impact for women in our country. And that led me to Sandra, Sandra Day O'Connor. And so it just, uh, and in my, in my perfect world, I'd go to law school. And so I, yeah. I'm just kind of probably infatuated with all those things. Yeah, that's awesome. awesome. That is awesome. So um, I, I, I keep asking the questions, so I'll let my <laughs> <laughs> You're okay. Well, you ended the podcast before I get to ask. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I didn't. I, I was going to ask about college, like your college. Oh, yeah. Kids. Oh, yeah. no. Let's yeah. talk about that. Let's do that. Let's do and talk about cut and paste. Kids. Is that okay? Well, we can cut and paste or we can just leave it at the end oh, and be okay. like, oh, yeah, sorry. John, I was up, like, which is totally no, an okay thing to put okay. on the podcast. Too. So, my question, Jamie, for you too is you, you had mentioned, I think, in our last podcast about your, you have college age kids. Mm-hmm. And like I said, we are new to this and we just brought our high schooler home this year to homeschool her. And there's yeah. a lot of anxiety attached to that because we grew up in the public yeah. education system where is she going to be okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. And I hear, I hear a lot of homeschool. Nope. They'll be okay. You know, just do this, this, and this. And I just having, I would like to hear from somebody who has kids that are of that age, what, what it looked like and how sure. they're doing. And, and well, you just like it the like kind of what they're doing is that kind of what you're asking I, I just want yeah, to well, I want to know what it looked like kind of in high school and then their transition yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. yeah so as is typical for Jamie Buckland it is not typical this is not a <laughs> typical story right yeah. um so my my Ethan um who has my heart my my baby boy um who is turning 22 he lives out in Missouri he um, was done being educated by me in 10th grade, and he actually got hired on at a law firm and worked his 11th and 12th grade year for an attorney firm. Wow. And that was his, that's how he finished out his high school career because he didn't earn a math and English credit from me in finishing out because he went on straight into the workforce. And I mean, I'm talking 40 hours a week, self-sufficient, papers and car. Um, I wouldn't give him a diploma. And so he actually took his, uh, the GED equivalent, the task, went in, hadn't opened a book in two years, flew right through it, right? That's how, that's how Ethan's mind works. Things come pretty easy for Ethan Lane. So, um, but he's out in Missouri now working with a landscaping company and he's making good money, living his life, doing his thing. And um, I always feel like, where we are is not where we will be. And he is hungry. He is applying for um, 
an opportunity to, to go to a trade school. And he's trying to figure out what do I really want to spend my days doing and um, what is going to be a worthy investment of my time and possibly money in order to turn around and build a career. To me, that's pretty successful for a male 21-year-old to be yeah. thinking that on his own. I'm, I'm okay with that, right? Yeah. Um, but that's what Ethan's uh, graduation looks like, was taking his GED equivalency. Imagine how well I managed that. After years of Latin and mock trial and literature <laughs> investment, um, you know, it's supposed to be your magnum opus, right? You're supposed to be able to graduate this kid and it just be so impressive. Um, he's impressive to me because he's entirely self-sufficient. I think that's uh -huh. impressive. Um, yeah. But for a lot of people, how they define success looks very differently. Yeah. Um, so I've just had to be very comfortable with the fact that children are born persons. And that comes from Charlotte Mason. And I know that my path was not typical. And what I do love is that my big kids are two things. They are confident and they are curious. Mm -hmm. And those two things are markers for me that shows me they're going to be able to succeed and face the trials that they need to face. With Emma, she graduated, um, she spent her entire senior year, so she's 19, working full-time as a vet tech assistant. So uh -huh. she got on as a vet tech, so her entire senior year, that's what she did. Um, she did graduate and earn all of her credits from me, so she did actually get a homeschool diploma with a full transcript. And then we applied, she applied for community college and got accepted into their cosmetology program. We had to do a couple little hoop jumping um, things to make sure that we had all of the information they needed. But in West Virginia, they do recognize homeschool diplomas um, as they would any other diploma. And so we were able to, to submit all of that and she went on into community college. Um, I've been um, in a position to work with other families who have pursued a typical four-year university or a, a more traditional approach to higher education. And what we have found is that um, if you start looking around, some families aren't in the position, but if you can start looking around ninth or 10th grade and at their interest, at their aptitude, what do you think they're going to be interested in? Then you can begin to kind of work backwards and say, well, maybe when we want to squeeze in anatomy and physiology. You know, if we want to do vet tech assistant, maybe we want to actually put that in here. If there's something for engineering, maybe we actually want to do introductory physics in Navarre in ninth grade, which is a great program, by the way. Um, and so you can start to see where you want to go and work that backwards. What I would say is just, to be confident that you do know your child and to be uh, confident in your child that they can put, put some time into this, but they can begin to think about what they would like to spend their time doing. And yeah. then don't necessarily push college if it's not the best fit, especially that first year. Um, you know, really give them some time and space. Maybe it's a year on the mission field, you know, maybe yeah. it's a year investing in something else while they kind of um, figure things out. But, um, you know, instruction shouldn't be taken more than three or four hours a day for a high school student. They should have plenty of time to develop interest. What are, what music, what instruments do they want to play? Take up water coloring, find an art class somewhere that you can sign them up for. Really try to prevent the feast Present the feast for them, as many yeah. options as you can, and really give them the time to spend doing that so they can see what, what tastes good, what feels good to them. Oh, I like that. Oh, Jamie, awesome. thank you. <laughs> You're yeah. welcome. This has been great. Yeah, this has been fun. And, and the two different flavors of the, 
the different episodes has been really fun too. So um, remind our listeners again, how they can uh, connect with you and your work and, and follow what you're doing. Sure. So Jamie Bucklin is embarrassingly easy to find on all of the socials. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram. Um, you can also email me at Janie, J-A-M-I-E, at WVFUE.org for the West Virginia Few. We do have a website, www.wvfue.org. And then if you are interested in more education stuff, there JamieBucklin.net still exists. I haven't tended it well, but a lot of folks, um, I have a mock trial program on there that you can still download um, and purchase that gives you a whole syllabus on how to run a mock trial. A lot of classical content lives there at jamiebuckland.net. Awesome. Thank you again so much for spending so much time with us. Thank you both for the conversation. Thank you for listening to the Diamond Education Podcast. You can connect with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Diamond Education, D-I-M-O-N-D, or on our website, diamonded.com.